Uh, we're going to continue on. Uh, Liz is going to come up now, and she's going to read uh, from Luke chapter 1 for us. So if you have your Bibles open and you want to turn to Luke chapter 1, verse 39, that would be helpful. Mary visits Elizabeth. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Mary's song. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. For he, <coughs> excuse me, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for th about three months and then returned home. Okay, we're going to jump into uh, the, the text that Liz just read for us um, from Luke 1. And we are meant to know that this story here that was just read immediately follows the one that we examined last week. Uh, where uh, that story, in that last scene, an angel shows up in the middle of nowhere in a town called Nazareth in Galilee to a young nobody teenager named Mary. Uh, he greets her by telling her that she is highly favored by God. Uh, and she becomes troubled and disturbed. Why? Well, because she knows what happens when angels show up in your story. That means that God is about to do something incredible. And what is this incredible thing that God's about to do? Well, Gabriel tells Mary that God is sending his son, the son of promise, the one who will come to rescue his people. And this baby is going to be brought into the world by Mary. She gets the privilege of being this baby's mom. But it will come at a cost. Mary is engaged to a man named Joseph, who, when he finds out that she's pregnant with a baby that's not his, uh, wants to leave her behind. It means a life of rejection from those within the community that this young mom had a baby out of wedlock. And yet, Mary knows that this is the greatest story that's ever been told. And despite the cost, she says to Gabriel, I am the Lord's servant. 
may your word to me be fulfilled. In other words, he says, okay, I'm all in. Then we reach verse 39, where the text uh, seems to indicate that, uh, that Gabriel just, he vanishes, and immediately, uh, it seems, Mary rushes to her, visit her cousin Elizabeth, who lived a three to four day journey south of Nazareth, where Mary was. So, uh, Mary does this because Gabriel mentioned to her that God had also done something miraculous in her cousin Elizabeth's life, that a woman who thought that she was too old to conceive um, became, became pregnant because God spoke it and it happened. So instead of running away from all of this crazy, overwhelming news, Mary runs further into it. Mary had to see another part of the story of what God was up to, which brings us to an interesting exchange that happens in our text here between these two cousins. Right? As the text says, Mary greets Elizabeth, and at the sound of Mary's voice, the baby in Elizabeth's womb doesn't wiggle or kick or reach out. The baby leaps. It, it leaps. So much so that Elizabeth knows that this is a holy moment. Uh, and as Elizabeth proclaims, um, she proclaims three amazing truths after this happens, which actually tie into what we spoke about last week. Uh, I'll just run through these briefly. First, Elizabeth points out the significance of this baby that's just started to form inside of Mary. She calls this baby, who hasn't even come into the world yet, her Lord, uh, the one that she's been waiting for, her once and future king. Uh, This baby is incredibly special, the baby that the whole of God's people have been waiting for and longing for, and she recognizes who this baby is. Second, Elizabeth is joyful that she gets invited into the storyline of God. She says, have a look at the text, Why am I so favored that this will be happening to me? Like Mary, Elizabeth would be someone on the outside of society. She's a woman, which back then wasn't a great thing. Uh, You were persecuted. You were looked down upon. You were treated as a secondhand object, right? Uh, She's elderly. Uh, She has no children, no legacy, and in that society, that's something to be ashamed of. But she knows that God is beyond her circumstances, beyond what other people think, and that God would not give up on someone like her. In fact, she and people like her continuously get invited into the story of God. So she's super thankful for that truth. And then lastly, she praises Mary and people like Mary who believe God's promises. Um, There is something incredibly significant that happens when people like Mary, like Elizabeth, um, like you and me, take God at his word, who listen and believe. Uh, Elizabeth uses, uh, the word Elizabeth uses to describe people who take God at his word is the word blessed or blessed. Uh, That's the Greek word makarios, which means to be filled with a happiness that only comes from God. When we actually believe God is who, um, that God is a God who fulfills his promises, and we respond with a posture of belief, we are happy, blessed, filled with something that transcends our circumstances. Then, if you follow along in the story, hearing Elizabeth's three truths that she speaks out, Mary bursts into a song, as you do, right? Um, this section of scripture is uh, often called the Magnificat, 
which is the first line of Mary's song in Latin. That's how it starts in Latin, in case you were wondering. Um, this is one of the more cherished songs uh, throughout Christian history. Um, now, I don't know when the last time was in your life that you just burst out in song. Like, when, when did that happen? When, when was it? Maybe, maybe you've never done it. Maybe you've never just started singing like, ah, I don't know, maybe. Um, I, I have to say that I, I have done that at, on several occasions. It's happened. And if you're not a fan of musicals, um, and yet you've seen a few, maybe you wonder why these characters in the middle of normal everyday life just start singing, and nobody around them thinks it's strange. In fact, uh, people not only sing along with them, they start swinging around on lampposts, and they dance impressively in unison together, not having discussed the steps prior to this, right? <laughs> why is that? And Why does that seem so normal uh, when you see a musical like that? Why is that, that everyone just, once one person starts singing, everyone joins in? Well... Uh, if you ever watch musicals or uh, see stuff like that happen in real life, people burst out in song and it makes people want to join in because they are experiencing some sort of extreme emotion, right? So when Fantine gets fired and thrown out on the street, she cries out that she dreamed a dream of times gone by when hope was high and life worth living. When Elphaba realizes that the Wizard of Oz is not who he says he is, she rages uh, that it's high time that she starts defying gravity. Uh, in musicals or in life, what makes people start waxing lyrical is when something overwhelming is happening inside of you, something that you can't contain anymore. It just has to come out, sometimes in song form. Uh, and this is no different in Mary's song. Upon hearing Elizabeth's blessing over her regarding this baby that has just started to grow inside of her, Mary cannot keep her thoughts uh, and emotions private, so she sings. That's what she does. And now we've already, we've just read what that song is, the song that uh, Mary sings. And I'm not going to go over every bit in detail. You can do that later. It's pretty amazing. But I'd just like to spend the rest of our time exploring what we can learn from this song. And I think there are three points for us to take away. Um, So what can we learn from Mary's song? Point one, Mary sings knowing that God is the main character and she feels blessed to even just be a small part. This echoes exactly what Elizabeth just said earlier. Uh, Twelve times in this song, Mary makes reference to he, his, and him. Uh, It's clearly a song about God. This This is about you, God. And if you examine what she said... Um, The words highlight God's character and activity. His mercy extends. He has performed mighty deeds. He has brought down rulers. He has filled the hungry with good things. Mary could have certainly made this song about her. She could sing, I am so great, God chose me, la 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 la. She could have said that. I'm the coolest girl in the history of the world. Look at me, I get to give birth to the Son of God. Hey, um... Now, there are actually a lot of worship songs that are out there that actually sound a lot like this, believe it or not. They're actually very me-centered, and God is just sort of a a supporting actor in in some of those songs. I don't think we sing them here, but I have heard songs just like this that are supposed to be worship songs, but are really about me. Uh, And Mary doesn't sing that way, though. She doesn't sing those sorts of songs. 
Yeah, there's a few scant lines in here about how this amazingly big God took notice of a lowly servant like her. That's certainly in there. But her song is really about God. That God is the main character in the story of the universe. It's, it's all about him. It's not about her. She is actually more than content that the story is not about her. Now, the thing is, I find this extremely fascinating. That this song that she sings is about God as the main character and not about her. And I find this fascinating because in my prayers and even in the songs that I sing, the focus is often on myself. God, I need this. God, I want you to do this. God, I need you to do this thing for me. I need help. I need rest. Why haven't you shown up for me? And I imagine many of the words that we speak about God sound very similar to this. Uh, And I'm sure that Mary would have had a lot of questions uh, about this thing that was happening in her, probably a lot of anxiety about the whole process. But if she does, we never hear about them. She is concentrated on God, that he is the hero. He is the one uh, where she finds her story. Uh, He is the one who holds all life in his hands. It seems right and natural for her to posture herself here first. When you and I think about our lives, do we think that we are the center? Or do we, like Mary, rightly place God in the center of it all? And that we, like her, are happy just to simply be invited in the first place. Is that what we are like? Second point. Mary sings before anything actually really even happened. Uh, At this point, Mary is maybe only a few days or even a few weeks pregnant. She hasn't felt the baby move inside of her just yet. And this son of promise is still a long way off from making an appearance in the world. From one standpoint, you might say that God hasn't actually done anything for her just yet. Just a promise, right? There's a promise, but nothing has actually happened yet. And yet, even despite all that, she sings. Why is this significant? Well, because you and I will usually approach God and sing his praises after something good has happened in our life, right? We get offered that new job, and we thank God for providing for us. We are filthy sick, and the next day we wake up and we feel a bit better and praise the Lord, this is awesome. Uh, we drive to Warrywood Square, and even though the sign says that there's no parking left on the, the entry level, we turn in that direction anyway instead of going up to the second story where we know it says there's plenty of spaces, and in the hopes that somehow it will just appear out of nowhere, and then sure enough, a car pulls out right in front of us, and we get to park right near the entrance, and we say, thank you, Jesus, for providing me this awesome parking space right in front. Praise the Lord. How good is this? Right? We often have that sort of response after good things have happened in our lives. It's just sort of a a natural thing that something good happens. Oh, now I should praise God. Awesome. But Mary does this before anything happens. Before Jesus is born, before she gets to hold the Son of God in her arms, she praises the Lord. Before she gets to teach him how to eat his first Vegemite on toast or whatever his wheat bix, she praises the Lord. And long before she ever finds out that people are still talking about her thousands of years after these Christmas events, she praises the Lord. At this point, she knows that the road ahead is going to be really rough. And yet, she still praises before any of it has happened. 
How often do we do that? Are you likely to turn to God and sing him a joyful song before anything has happened in your life that you were hoping for? Do you shout praises to God simply because he is God, because he keeps his promises, because he loves you, even if at the moment it doesn't seem like it, that he's provided for you? Paul, who writes from a prison cell in Rome, writes this to the church in Philippi. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. In a prison cell, he writes this. Uh, the fact that we are, we are instructed to praise God at all times, not just after we experience good things. And the fact that God provides for us and gives us good gifts does not negate the fact that God is good and that he is a provider even before he does any of those things. The language Mary basically uses is, God, this is what you are like. This is what you are always like. And before I even get to experience these things and enjoy the fruit of these promises that you made, I praise you because I acknowledge that you are a God like this. I sing stuff before, before the blessing, before it works all, all works out in the end. This is what Mary sings. Do you? Do I? And because she sings about God this way, before the blessing even happens... She proceeds forth with joy. And maybe, if we made a habit of doing that, we would be less stressed and joyful too. Less dependent on our circumstances or things to work out the way that we think that they should work out. Finally, Mary sings about God's great reversal of all things. Uh, N.T. Wright, who is a New Testament scholar, writes this about Mary's song. He says, it's the gospel before the gospel, a fierce, bright shout of triumph 30 weeks before Bethlehem, 30 years before Calvary and Easter. It goes with a swing and a clap and a stamp, and it's all about God, and it's all about revolution, and it's all because of Jesus. What does he mean by that? Well, the gospel before the gospel is how God has always been, and is especially now in Jesus, making all things new. He is taking the things that we as sinful humans have taken out of order and putting them back into order and restoring them to rights. And he looks, uh, and that looks like, if you follow through the logic of Mary's song, it looks like the trampled poor being lifted up. It means the powerless being given glory and strength. It means oppressors being flung from their thrones. It means the broken being healed. It means the hungry walk away fed. The gospel is more than simply you and I get to go to heaven after we die if we believe the right things. The gospel, the real gospel, is that all things, including you and me, are being renewed because of Jesus. That all spaces, every corner of this earth, God is at work redeeming. It's bigger than just you and me. It's a message for everyone, everywhere. And even before Jesus even sets foot on this earth... Before his hands and feet are pierced for us, Mary reminds herself that this is the story of what God has always been on about. A God who so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. And Luke's gospel goes on to describe how these followers of Jesus, who know this story best, go out into all those spaces as kingdom builders and proclaimers. That they are not only concerned about individuals coming into a personal relationship with Jesus, 
but seeing all spaces receive ultimate redemption. So they went out and they spent time with the poor, with the sick, with the imprisoned, with the refugee, with the downtrodden, because this good news is for everyone everywhere, including me, including you. And we are invited as well. What started out as a song in the hill country of Judea became an anthem that has been proclaimed in Judea, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. From that day to this one, God is making all things new. Do you want to join in that song? Now, by my estimation, uh, I have thousands of songs memorized. Like, thousands. Maybe you do too. Um, the other day, um, my wife was playing some YouTube video of uh, Alanis Morissette. You know who that is? She was pop, very popular in the 90s. I haven't heard a song from her since the 90s. And it just came on and I knew the words. Like, I just knew the words off the top of my head. It's pretty crazy to me that with just a few opening notes, I can still remember songs that I haven't sung in decades. Maybe you have that gift as well. See, our brains have this amazing capacity to recall strange and random stuff, even uh, especially if we listen to them and repeat them often enough. Many songs will take us to certain moments of time, maybe when we first heard them. Maybe they'll remind us of a particular place or a particular person. Um, and maybe we, there have been times when we find ourselves, whether it's by our lonesome in the shower or in a crowd of strangers, burst into song because we feel something in our bones that we cannot keep to ourselves. Music is that powerful. But this sort of song that Mary sings may be one of the most that is worth remembering for us. Mary, because she has been so graced by the Lord of the universe, burst into song. A song all about God, who he is, what he does, what he is like. A song where he is the center. A song, it's a song that she sings before anything good has actually happened in her life. A song sung simply out of love and joy, of deep intimacy. A song sung not because something else happened first. A song simply sung because this God deserves to be sung about no matter what. And it's a song about the good news that God has been, is, and will continue to be at work making all things new, including our hearts new. The great restoration of all things. There are a lot of amazing songs out there, but none quite like this one. And the question for you and I is this. What sort of singers are we? Do we sing about ourselves and our circumstances or about God and who he is? Do we sing only because God has done something for us or simply because of God and who he is? Do we sing about what we want done or do we sing about what God is doing and has always been up to? Maybe we ought to examine the songs that we regularly find ourselves singing, not to stop singing those songs, but to see if we find ourselves forgetting or omitting or downplaying the greater song of, about God. I want to be a person like Mary. I read her story, I'm just like, wow, how can I be like you? Uh, I want to be someone who is like Jesus, who no matter what is happening, no matter what I feel, no matter what other songs I may be tempted to sing in the moment, my lyrics, my melody return to the God who is there. That like my daughter Hope, even if I don't know the tune 
quite well enough. I'm just going to belt it out and sing because it's the right thing to do and because I want to join in this song. What does your song sound like? Let me pray. Father, we thank you that um, you are a God who is there. That as Mary sang about over 2,000 years ago, um, this story has always been about you. You're the God who promises. You're the God who delivers. You're the God who saves. You're the God who is all-powerful. It's all about you. And yet you love us enough, like Mary, like Elizabeth, to be invited into your great story. We want to sing. We thank you that you're a God who uh, we can praise before anything good may come to our life that we are hoping for. Because you're a God who keeps his promises. That when you speak, we know that it is guaranteed to happen. And you're a God who's made countless promises to us. So Lord, before, even if we find ourselves in the middle of wondering where you are and why hasn't the things happened that we are hoping that they would happen, we pray that we would sing like Mary, praising you before any of those things, simply because you are God and you are good. So help us sing. We thank you that you invite us to sing the song that has been sung for thousands and thousands of years, that you're a God who is making all things, including our hearts, new. And you invite us to join in that song, to find ourselves in every space to be a singer of the great truth of your love for every human life. Help us to look uh, and sound just like Mary, that the song that we sing is ultimately all about you. And we are just thankful that you invite us, you bless us, and uh, you, you promise us amazing things because of the work of your son. We pray that as we end by singing now, uh, that our hearts, our minds would be focused on you, and we'd walk out of this place singing your praises because you're a God who is good. We thank you, we love you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.